welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey, Kingdom Culture family, so good to see you again. I cannot believe that we've been in this season of somewhat of a quarantine now for so many months. It feels like it's been in eternity. We miss you all. I want to welcome all of our extended family, all of those watching for the first time. Welcome to our Sunday experience. You know, we've been in a series now for over, I think, five months or so. At least it feels that way, uh, called Revive 2020. And we've been having amazing conversations. Every message has been centered around reviving something that we believe God wants to reawaken or resurrect or revive in and through our life. And so if you've been tracking with us, I hope these messages and all these conversations that I've had with many different guests from around the world have impacted you. And we're so excited today because we have someone very special with us again. And this one's from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and her name is Zoe Lily. Welcome, Zoe. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me today. So happy to be here. So good to see you. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Zoe is down in Sao Paulo. She's, uh, you know, connected in with uh, Zion Church that has many campuses. Um, uh, she, her, she's the sister of a good friend of mine, Teofilo Hayashi, who has been with us before on a Sunday. I think it was just last June, actually. And uh, she's been very involved in the Dunamis movement down there, music. She's a, a painter. She's an artist. Uh, she's a lot of things. And she's also uh, the worship pastor at Zion Church based in Sao Paulo. And so tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're about, your background, and then we're going to dive into the title and subject to today's conversation. Okay. Um, currently, I I am right now in Sao Paulo during this crazy pandemic, but um, we're safe. And um, I'm, I'm the worship pastor at church. And I lead worship. Um, it's been over now 20 years, but I've been a pastor for just a few years now. And um, I'm also a full-time artist. I'm a full-time painter. And I love everything that's creative. And I love cooking and I love doing all that. But I also love to talk and teach, especially on worship and teach about things that God has you know, helped me overcome. And it's it's such a pleasure to be here again. The conversation we had, Sean and I had um, on Instagram was so awesome to be sharing so many stories. And I'm it's just I'm just honored to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Now, Zoe, you're a you're a, a painter. What kind of painter are you? What what kind of painting do you do? <laughs> That's a hard question. Um, some people say my my work is contemporary. Other people say it's more. It's not more. I wouldn't say it's abstract or anything, but I paint with acrylics and um, I'm in a few galleries. I do have some art shows yearly. 
um, this year. Like it's kind of, I just do mostly now for my clients because the art shirts have been canceled, but um, I'm still creating a lot and I paint um, almost every day. So that's yes. awesome. I'm sure that, you know, being that you're, you're connected in sort of more of the charismatic movement as well, that you've been asked to paint people like lions, bald eagles and, and, <laughs> I don't and, do that. and lambs. I'm sure you've been asked at one point, have you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes and uh, you said no i have a lot of people ask me for prophetic paintings and for me to paint their dreams and all of that but um i don't do that but i do believe everything i paint is prophetic because everything that you when you do and you're filled with the holy spirit that is already prophetic right so um, we don't have to have a lion or the lamb on a painting so that it could touch someone's life <laughs> And only those that are, are in sort of more of the charismatic movement understand what we're talking about. But hey, I'm excited about today's conversation. You also are an author. You have uh, three, uh, two books and one on the way. And yes. uh, I'm, just, I'm gonna try my Portuguese here. One of them is called <laughs> A Casa da Parta Vermelha. Vermelha. Good, that's good. And that's the about intimacy with God. Door. You gotta get these translated in English. Yes, I've been talking to the publishing company a lot for us to at least get them online in English. It's just, we have two books. It's called, one is called The House with the Red Door, which is a book about inner healing. Basically, wow. it's a journey from chapter one to the final chapter of my life. And it all happened in several encounters with God in this house with the red door. Wow. And all those encounters happen in a span of about 14 years. So the story is told as if it happened like uh, some through some days, but it's mostly like everything really happened. Some people think it's like the shack, but it's very different because those things actually happened. It's not it's not a story. It's actually several moments and encounters. And I love that book. I don't think I will ever write something that was so vulnerable. I think that's my favorite one. And then the second one is called At His Table which is about um, being about worship in relations to food, which is something very, wow. I would say people don't talk about it usually. And, um, and so here's, this is the one the, with the red door. So if you speak Portuguese, you can have it. And this one is at his table. A which mesa is, com uh, ela, ela, ela. A mesa com Eli. <laughs> Eli, Eli. Okay, I tried, I tried. Eduardo That's was helping me and I shot. forgot, forgot what he good. said. It's hard. <laughs> I tried. And, That's awesome. Um, it's about food and the relationship between us, you know, being at his table and what, how does food relate to relationship? Because wow. worship is relationship. And a lot of people think worship is connected to music. So in this book, I actually don't mention the word music only until the last chapter. So it's a book. And then in the end, it has also my recipes. So it's fun wow. too. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. The third book, sorry. No, go ahead. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the third book is about, it's just a relate, a, a devotional book with all my illustrations. So I decided to put more art stuff in it and it's an interactive journal. So it's a devotional and then you interact with the illustrations and you fill them up or you don't have to. And it's a 30 day for more intimacy with God. That's awesome. That's awesome. And for those of you that maybe have never heard of, of Zoe, 
Um, the first time I met Zoe was when uh, I was invited to speak at a Dunamis experience. I think it was at one of the universities down in uh, Sao Paulo. This is about in 2016, I want to say, about four years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been connected with Teofilo, your brother, for some time at that point, at least several years, and I uh, got the, the opportunity to speak and then came in and I don't, I hadn't met you yet. And you were leading worship. I don't even know if I knew that Teofilo had a sister. And you were you were you were leading worship on the flute. And it yes. was like so powerful. I'm like, who is this girl? Like it was crazy. And someone was like, This is uh Teofilo's sister. And I'm like, man, this is you're just you just you carry it. You have an incredible Praise incredible Jesus. gift on your life, incredible anointing, and you weren't even you weren't married yet, I don't think, to your husband Israel at that point. We were engaged. We got married that year that you came. Wow, so. crazy, crazy. Well, I remember, and I, I, I'm just so thankful that God has given you uh, uh, to the body of Christ because, you know, the body of Christ is is that much greater and stronger because of people like you that bring so much value and so much hope and strength and bring your gifts to the table. And so thank you. Uh, for being you. And so I want to dive into your story. I believe it's going to encourage so many people that are watching and that those will, that will watch this later on, I believe that your story is going to be transformative. And like I said in the beginning to everyone, we are in this series called Revive 2020. And so to continue on the, on the series, or today's subject, and it connects to your sort of story, is revive our true identity Dealing with insecurity in the age of comparison. That's a Mm -hmm. huge loaded um, uh, concept. (laughs) It's a huge loaded topic theme. You know, reviving. What does it mean to revive our true identity? Well, we have a false identity. The identity that the world puts on us. The labels that the world puts on us. The labels that our friends, that our history, that our pain, that our, 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 you know, the old version of ourselves puts on us. And, and, but we have a true identity that God has always wanted us to come into. It was always there. It was just buried in sin. It was buried and shrouded in darkness. But when we're, that's why we're, when we're born again now, we're just reborn. That, that, that born again nature was already within, but it was shrouded. And God took the shroud of sin, the, the state of sin off of our lives. He extracted it from us so that the real version of us could come alive again. So really when we're born again, in a sense, our true identity has been revived. It's been reawakened. It was that identity that was buried back in the garden because of what, what man did, choosing independence from God. And, and we connect that to, you know, in the age of comparison where everybody is comparing themselves with the world standards, comparing themselves with what people say success is, and I got to be more like this guy. And if I want to be like an amazing painter or worship leader like Zoe, then I have to do it this way. I got to be like her. But, but there's something about having conversation, real conversation about what it looks like for us to be us and be free. And that's really what your story is about. So let's dive in. Talk to us about your story. Talk to us about, uh, you know, your journey a little bit, and I'm assuming you're going to touch a little bit about your Red Door book on this, but share with us what, what your journey has been in the area of identity and all that we just talked about. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, 
and um, with a wonderful mother. But my father left us when I was five. And I, I truly believe that the father figure has a lot to do with um, identity. And the reason why we see a generation filled with people without identity is mostly because we see a lot of a fatherless generation. And not having a father growing up, my mother did her best to supply everything that we needed. But eventually, I needed to find that out with Jesus, with God, God the Father. And that revelation of God being my father was something that that started very soon, but throughout my teenage years, teenage years kind of drifted away. So my first supernatural encounter with God was when I was literally five years old. It was the day about a few days after my father had left us. It was my brother and I and my mother, the three of us. And I remember she called us into the kitchen and she said, um, from now on, your father is God. And that's how it's gonna work here. <laughs> And, and as a child, it was, it was so simple. So I went to the bedroom and I remember I knelt down beside my bed and I said, God, if you are my father, just like my mom just said in the kitchen, just come down here and just give me a hug right now. And at that moment, I felt literally like these huge, gigantic hands, like squeezing me, you know, and I felt the pressure and everything. And and that was my first supernatural encounter with God in which it changed my, the, my childhood completely. But fast forward a few years, several years, when I was around 16, 17 years old, I just, I, it kind of just drifted away. Those encounters with God just started becoming not as constant or not as, you know, frequent. And I just went back into this place of who am I? Where am I going? And I always felt so different from people. I always felt like I never fit in. Today, I still don't fit in, but I'm happy. And I'll tell you why, but let's, let's go back there. And I was like, I don't fit in. I'm just weird. You know, everybody likes different things than I do. And, and that's when depression started sinking in my heart. And I didn't know it was depression at that time. And I started gaining a lot of weight. I started just like trying to having a lot of suicidal thoughts and even trying to take my life. And I went through this very dark season in my life, but no one knew about it because I was very, very guarded and defensive in the way that I wasn't going to show people what was going on. I wanted to be strong. And at the same time, it was this huge spiritual battle going around me, you know, like things in my head. And that's when I say that, you know, when we go through dark seasons, we must understand that those dark seasons, they're affecting all of our lives and not just one part of it. Because most of my life, I was spiritualizing a lot of things, you know, I mean, oh, that's the devil, you know, so let's just cast him out. But there, there are certain things that it's not just, you know, casting out the devil. It's like, you know, this is my soul. This, these are my mental issues, or it's even my body, even it's just the way my brain is working. And God wants me to be completely his, not only in my spirit. He wants me completely healthy. He wants me completely um, and emotionally and mentally healthy. Because, you know, like I, I always think about this in, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Philippians 2, 12, when it says that we need to work out our salvation, I'd be like, but you know, are we, aren't we already saved? So we are saved in our spirit, but God wants us to have sozo, which is complete salvation. It's not only in our spirit, spiritual life, but it's also in our emotional life, 
We need to be redeemed there. We need to be redeemed in our mental life, in our physical life, in our even in our body, um, physically and financially, everything. God wants us to be completely redeemed. And so that's, that's when I started to just go through that season of God. I need to find out who I am. So it was about seven years of being completely lost, you know, <laughs> and I look back and it, it seems so long, so long, but at the same time, it's really who made me who I am today, you know, and today I help so many people overcome depression and, and it's just a privilege to have gone through that and actually still be here to talk about it and be here to say, hey, you know, it's a complete package. It is not just one thing. It's a complete package. And the church needs to know that. I think the church sometimes is very ignorant and it's they over-spiritualize or they don't even include the Holy Spirit. So let's just go to the doctor, you know, or just do therapy or let's just pray for you. It's, it's the whole thing. And um, sorry, is this... It's a, it's a long story, but um, finally no, I overcame it. It's great. It's great. And I love if we can camp out there for a second. It's great because, you know, I just did a conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf recently. And I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's like the, you know, sort of like known for the, she's like the brain scientist and all her whole, her whole practice and you know model is around rewiring your brain which which mm -hmm. really is kind of like what Paul said in Romans 12 when he said be transformed have a metamorphosis on the inside which is what the word is by the renewing of the mind and so mm -hmm. when we when we give our lives to Jesus we let him in we make the decision um, yes we have the full package we received it all like you know Ephesians 1 says we've been blessed with every blessing in Christ. Ephesians 2 says that we've been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. But there is an element where our mindsets are catching up to this reality of our freedom every day. And so although you said yes, you are on a journey of continuing to invite him in to your weak mm -hmm. moments, continuing until there was some form of evidence or manifest uh, healing in and through your life. And so you had a seven year, seven year window. And I, I, something I want you to touch on. I remember you shared it in your, in the IG live that we had, which I thought was so powerful. So many, so much amazing feedback on that conversation. If you haven't watched our IGTV live conversation with Zoe, it was an hour long, really powerful conversation. Um, but you mentioned an encounter you had when you're in Redding, California. And I'm assuming that at some point in this seven years, correct me if I'm wrong, this encounter was a part of that, was a part of shifting you. So I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit. Um, it was right before the seven year mark. I will tell you, I, I wanna share, I never told you, but the, when it really ended, it's a very supernatural story, but um, it was near there, it's around year number six, I went to Bethel to a um, prophetic arts conference. It's never been done after that. It was just a one year thing, I think, because I've never heard about it. And it was, in around, it was around 2008. And um, I was there, I, was, I went by myself. And Theresa Denmon, she was one of the leaders and she asked for every student to stand up, um, every person from art participant from the conference to stand up. 
and to present their artwork before the Lord in this, in spiritually speaking, and for them to hear what the Lord wanted them to do about it. Well, I was very angry at that moment. So I don't, I had a lot of things going inside my heart and I said, I'm not going to show Jesus anything because I just feel confused. I don't even have an artwork to show him today. <laughs> and I remember standing up and um, I just said, Jesus, you know, I don't even know what to give you. Like, I'm just a wreck. I don't even know how to show you or present you something, you know? And Jesus, why did you make me this way? And that was my biggest question, you know? Why did you make me this way? Why, why didn't you just make me like my brother or like my mother that they have like one passion and they like that thing and then they go for it. You know, I have like gazillion passions. I want to do gazillion things. If I could be like a hairdresser, I would be a chef or I don't know, a food stylist, a photographer. I wanted to be everything. And why did you make me this way? And at that moment, the Lord said, you know, he said, you know, daughter, I'm, I'm going to just ask you one thing, Zoe. And I said, what do you want? He said, I just want your obedience. And when he said that, I just want your obedience, it just like, it clicked, you know? He said, if you obey me, you are going to do everything that you have to do, you know? So that truly changed my life in regards to what I was doing. I just understood that obedience was so much better than trying to figure things out by my own. And that if God had made me that way, it's because he loves what he makes, you know, so that there's no, no reason why I would have to be in that certain way. You understand? I didn't have to be, I don't have to find myself in that way again. So it was, it was just the freedom. It was, it was pure deliverance in my life of what people said I had to be and a lot of others were telling me I had to do. People would say like, oh, you have all these talents. You have to do this or this or that, you know. But now I just say, I just have to obey. Like what has God given? And I think what you're saying really is about, is about getting a, um, a revelation of resting in God and being confident and comfortable with who he's made you to be. So, you know, I think like you kind of mentioned it, like, why can't I just be like so-and-so and so-and-so and just have one focus? Why am I this way? It was almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like it, it applies to all of us and we all go through things like this. If I could just be more like this, then my life would be easier. If I could just look like this or sound like this or think like this, then I would have what they have. Kind of what, you know, what it was the wrestle between Jacob and Esau. And we see that like Jacob, there was a jealousy within Jacob. Mm-hmm. And, and a jealousy for the father's attention. And even, uh, and this is not part of our conversation really, but just to reference the story, when Isaac, the father, was blind and couldn't really see, Jacob dressed himself up like his brother to receive a blessing from his father. And we do that in the body of Christ. We think we have to dress up like our brother or our sister, look like them. And if we do that, We'll get what they've got from God. We'll get the blessing of the Father, which brings it back to your 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 story at five, really, that you didn't have a revelation of the earthly father. You had a revelation of God the Father. But because you didn't have the earthly father figure, there was still a process of continuing to renew your mind to not to not find value in what people say about you, but to find value of what he says about you. And what he says to you is that, hey, 
it's how I've made you. I've made you to want to be a chef. I've made you to want to be the, I, I've given you all these amazing talents. And all I want you to do in the end though, is just trust me with every step of the way, every step of the process. And so I love that because I think it's, it's, it's an encouragement to all of us in that we're all wired different and we need to be okay with how we're wired, which is really our subject today is reviving our true identity, but dealing with insecurity in the age of comparison. Talk to me a little bit about how you now, after that encounter, you had this encounter, you kind of felt free, just trust God, be obedient. What was your journey after that now? Because we all know this, we can have a deliverance in a moment. We can be delivered of something, have a revelation. But like you said, it's like Philippians. Now we have to work it out. We got to flex the muscle. We've we've had an unveiling that we actually have the muscle to develop, but now we have to work it every day. Bring us into your process of how you begin to work out this deliverance in your life and apply it to, to deal with really insecurity and this false identity that maybe you you came under a lot has to do with like little steps that we take every day you know um every day until today and i think i'm going to do this until the day i die is i ask god what he thinks of me it's so important to understand what god thinks of us every day and that's not something that you just imagine it's all in the bible you know reading god's word and asking him because God's word is a mirror in which it shows us who we are and where we are at that moment. And God is a good God. So um, he's always willing to tell us over and over again what he's thinking of us at that moment. So I came back from that conference and of course things didn't change around me, but I had to change inside of me. So sometimes we think that because we had one encounter, one revelation, that everything is going to be different. But the pressure continued. The people continued saying things. Um, Everybody was like, why aren't you married? Or why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And I had to constantly go to to the secret place and ask God, what do you want from me? Or where are we going together? Like, what's, what's your plan for us, you know? When I say us, it's me and Jesus. Like, what's, what's the plan for the day? And um, at the moment, it will be somewhat lonely because it will sometimes be contrary to what everybody's thinking. But on the other hand, it's like you're, you're um, I would say you're sowing things where no one is watching. And like when its seed is inside the dirt, it's dark. No one sees it. It seems like nothing's going on. But the moment it starts growing and bringing and bearing fruit, you know, that's when people will see it, but they have no idea what you had to go through in order to bear fruit, you know? And um, it's like a bamboo, a bamboo, he, it, it grows five years under the soil for it to start showing some sprouts. So after five years, it will start growing. And then when it grows, it will reach the exact amount of what's underneath the ground. So that's why when the winds come or when the snow comes, it bends, but it does not break. Because the the more the what's on top is the same what's inside, you know, under the under the earth. So um that's what I thought, you know, I have to keep, you know, growing inside because eventually it's gonna show outside. But that it doesn't even matter what shows outside. It matters if I'm laying my head on my pillow every night and feeling like, you know, God's pleasure is over my life, I've got this. I need to feel that in, our, in my life. You need to feel that in your life. Like, 
I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm obeying. And even it's the little, the littlest thing, we have to be faithful in our obedience to the Lord, you know. That's amazing, you know, and really what you're saying is the deeper that you dig determines how high you end up building. And it's like a, a skyscraper. You gotta you gotta spend a lot of time on the foundation of a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves how beautiful they are and how big they are and how tall they are, but no one cares about the foundation. No one's looking at a skyscraper and being like, oh my gosh, look at how deep the foundation goes. <laughs> but the builder does. The builder knows the sacrifice that went into that. The builder appreciates the foundation because without the foundation, there would be no skyscraper. There'd be no thing for people to look at. And I remember for me, it was in 2006 and you referenced this and I, I love it. 2006, I sat down with uh, an international or a, a national leader, friend of mine, and we had a really powerful conversation. I had great aspirations to do certain things. And we had a conversation, it was 2006 and I was being challenged in my character with some things uh, and in certain environments in my life right now, in that season, 2006, and there was some uh, leadership growth that was happening in my life and things that I was dealing with. And he looked at me and he said, Sean, he says, he said, everyone, he said, he said, the, the gifts of God are like the tip of the iceberg. Everyone mm-hmm. loves the iceberg. Everyone loves the tip of the iceberg. Everyone loves to look at the iceberg, mm-hmm. but no one realizes how deep the iceberg is beneath the water. And he said to me, he said, Sean, that's your character. That's what's happening right now in your life. Your character is being refined. Your integrity, your your who you are as a person is being identified, being shaped and sculpted. And he said to me, let the process happen. The iceberg, what people see will come later. Let God do the thing that nobody sees. And mm-hmm. that it, it really helped me. And that really shaped the next really like last 14 years of my life, I've kind of rested in this when I feel like I'm in a seed season. And like you said, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being hidden or I feel like it's dark and I'm not seeing a lot of growth, a lot of, a lot of fruit. I just have to rest in this fact that I'm the seed in this soil right now. Mm-hmm. And like the bamboo, like I got to keep digging because eventually the thing that everybody's going to see is going to be a direct result of me resting in the season that nobody sees. And so sure. that's kind of, and I remember you mentioned that. Talk to me a little bit about how that's related to you and continue to unravel if you can, like how you continue to wrestle out this challenge of not comparing yourself or letting yourself get labeled by everyone's expectations of you. True. Um, I love the the analogy of the iceberg because I studied icebergs a lot. Um, And one of the biggest icebergs is 350 kilometers under the water. I'm talking about 350 kilometers of three hour drive. That's, that's how deep the iceberg goes all that way. And that's 90% of the iceberg. So 10%. That's so reassuring. I feel like, hey, okay, God, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm driving three hours <laughs> under the water. <laughs> I'll be that iceberg. Sure. Awesome. I yes. love that. Wow. That's crazy. 10% is on top of the water. So 90% is under the water and then 10% is on top. 
And most of us, we are so concerned about our 10%, you know, our 10% is how the way we look, how much money we have, um, how many members we have in our ministry, how many followers, what people think of us, people's opinions, that's 10%. And we, we waste so much of our energy on those 10% when God's doing so much on those 90% in our lives, you know? And, um, one of the things that was about focus, um, the shift of focus really helped me overcome a lot of things. Um, focusing on growing my 10% was something that was fundamental for my, um, just being like, okay, I'm going to focus on who I am when no one is watching. Because sometimes we're like, oh, just keep in your process because God is going to be, you know, with you and it's going to just come and then all of a sudden God's going to shift and it's, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. And it's going to be amazing, you know, but then the motivation is wrong because you're like focusing on being rooted so that God can propel you to somewhere. And I thought that motivation was just not the right one for my life. And I say, God, I don't want to do that either. I want to be focused on my 90% because that's what you care about, you know? So um, understanding that God cares about our 90% will also make you understand that that journey of the 90% is what makes your whole life. And that 10% is so temporary. You know, like um, I look at my life, yesterday I was talking to a friend and she was like, Zoe, look, look what we've become today. You know, imagine the things that we thought were tragedies in the past have have made us who we are today. And those things are so small compared to what God has done in our hearts. And I believe that God is doing greater things than we could even imagine or fathom way more than 350 kilometers deep that we, we aren't paying attention because we're so focused on our 10%. So changing our focus is, is something that really helped me understand, Hey, I'm going to like put all my energy in the 90 because the 10 is just going to, be a waste of energy you know in the end it's just gonna be hard i just i'm just gonna feel burnout, out and i don't and i hate feeling burnout and i felt burnout so much in my life already that's amazing you know and I, I see it like in your worship like when you lead worship i can tell like i'm i'm you know part of what i do is i i teach on the prophetic and i've i've invested my life into this side of you know, the voice of God, understanding the voice of God. And one thing that I've learned to be able to, and I'm a musician too, so I can tell the difference between when someone's performing and when someone's, and when someone's actually, (laughs) they've carved out in their life, a relationship with God and their music simply is just an expression of that. And Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to worship, I know that like, obviously, you know, playing music is very different than, than worship. In, the, in a sense of like why we're doing it, but uh, it's all worship in the end. But you know what I mean? When you're leading a corporate body into a worship encounter, it's very different. But I can tell when someone has carved out time with God and they're leading worship and when someone hasn't and they're leading worship, I can tell, I can feel it. It's like when you hear a, a speaker or a preacher or a teacher and you can tell, I mean, even Jesus, he said like the side, like when when he was being in a conversation, I, I can't remember. I think it was Nicodemus. 
And I think it was in John chapter one or John chapter three, correct me if I, I can't remember the chapter, but he said, uh, I think it was Nicodemus. No one could do teacher, teacher. No one could do the signs that you do unless God was with him. And, and it really is a, is a, a reflection of there is a certain sign and a certain influence that happens when you truly have an authority because of what you've gone through. You know, Jesus, you know, was a model for it. He got up early in the morning and he prayed and he hung out with his father for us. Even though he was God wrapped in flesh, he modeled as a prototype relationship. John 5 verse 19 says, Jesus said, I only, I only do what I see my father doing. John 8 says, I only say what I hear my father saying. And I, I really, I, I can tell the difference and you carry this. You, you, you've, it's very obvious to me that you've, you've for seven years or for longer, for your whole life, you've developed this depth with God and you've dug deep and you've worked on the iceberg beneath the water. And I think back to anybody that feels called to some sort of vocational ministry. I know I, both of us would agree that everyone's called to ministry, whether it's in the marketplace or in the church, it just may be expressed differently. But so many people want the platform, but so many people aren't willing to pay the price privately so that when they get the platform, they actually do something of significance. Because I feel like significance is very different than success. The way the world defines success, God looks at it and says, no, success to me is significance in this earth, leaving an impact, leaving a legacy. You know, Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Like what are you, what you leave behind really is what's success to God, but ultimately to us, that's significance. What are you doing? And I think back to my own journey about how organically, I fell into what I call vocational ministry because I, I, so all I did was pray. I mean, I would spend four to eight hours a day in prayer for the first six months of my journey in the word, studying the word, going onto the street and, and sharing my story, going into the bar, going into the club, sharing my story of how God transformed my life. I wasn't going out there to build a big ministry. I didn't even want to be in ministry. I didn't have a context for that. It just happened organically. That's kind of what you're talking about. As you dig deep, I feel like God just begins to build. And unless God builds the house, the labor's labor in vain. You can strive all you want and build something that might crumble one day. Or you could just focus on the right thing and God does the other thing for you on behalf of you. Not to excuse, like you you don't can't be lazy and you know, if you're gonna sit twelve hours a day in the prayer room, well, things might not happen. You still got to be strategic and wise, but I love your story because it's all about diving deep so you can build high. True. So you, you, you mean, I mean, you still dealt with the pressures and, you know, you talk about building the inner man. Let's go there. You referenced the scripture to me earlier uh, when we were talking before we went on this call about, you know, out of Ephesians four, let's go there for a little bit. How did you continue then to develop the inner man? So you wouldn't fall back into the trap of finding your identity and what people said about you. It's a lot about um, our mentality during our processes. You know, like Ephesians 4.22 says that we must put on the new man and put out, put off the old man, the old nature. The, the something When Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the new man. He gave us a new life. And, and when I read this scripture, it's so clear that I need to put it on. 
It's like God gives me this beautiful dress and I need to actually get rid of my old dress so I can wear this new dress, you know? And it's an action. It's not something that's like, oh, just I'm just going to stay here soaking in my bedroom. No, it's, I say that when our trials come and the situations in our lives happen and that's where action starts. And they're like, the action actually is happening right there. And that's when we have to change. You know, I could say in my bedroom, I am loved by God. I am loved by God for like 30 seconds or for 30 minutes it's not going to really change until I'm out there in the world and someone's critiquing my lifestyle or saying something that I don't like. That's the moment I have to remind myself I am loved by God. That's the moment I need to say I am loved. I have value. I am his own. I'm his, his creation. So um, our secret place is, is our foundation for the moment we're going to take action. So we, it can't be something just rational. It has to some, be something that we truly believe and that we truly, truly love. You know, I think falling in love with Jesus made me understand how much he also loved me and made me understand how much he loves others and understanding that he loves even my own velocity. You know, I grew up with a very fast paced person, my brother, and everything in his life is fast paced and everything in my life is so, it's not slow paced, but it's just, it's just a different pace. So everything in my life kind of happened later in life. I got married later. I found out what I wanted to do with my life, like career wise way later. I always find things later, but they're always so perfectly timed, timed in my life. And they're so, and they just fit so perfectly, you know, because that's the way God wants our lives to, to happen. And it's all in his time, you know, so chronologically we have our time, but God has his Kairos time and Kairos is very hard to understand because it has no end or no beginning and it's just eternal and understanding that I have to live my life according to Kairos time was such a challenge. And, but it all started in my mindset. Like many times we don't, we are so stressed out. We're so anxious and we're so irritated and so frustrated because we have created things in our minds that don't exist, exist. For example, um, God has, God has this for you, this ideal life for your life. And it's mostly, most of it, 99.9% is in the Bible, but we have created this. I don't know why, but we human beings, we create this other ideal in our life. And when things don't happen according to this ideal, we feel frustrated. We feel so rejected. Like this was supposed to happen. Um, so-and-so was supposed to do this, or this, my ministry was supposed to be like this. And everything is different from that. It's like our world falling apart. And I'm like, I have to, I have to be like, wait, but what is God's life for me? You know? And learning how to change my mindset, learning that I can't be in control, learning that God has to be the one that leads me, that I have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And regardless of that outcome, that I am still loved, that's the key for me. Because my expectation has to stop being on things that I, make, I think should happen. And it has to become on things that I know the Lord has told me and the Lord has yes, dominion over my life. And that's the Lordship, you know, the Lordship of Christ. And we talk about it all the time, but we don't live sometimes like that because we're anxious when we don't 
have the car we want, when we don't have the house we want, when we don't have the job we want, when we are not the weight we want to be on right now. And it's like, God, I just want to live right now what you think of me. So that's a, it's a big answer to a very big question that so we could go on for hours talking about how our met our models of our mindsets and how our, the way we talk to ourselves, how that determines a lot, how we react to our lives. I think, and I think that's great because I think that really is the life of Joseph. You think about it. I mean, he had a word, whether he knew what that word actually meant, you know, as a 17 year old kid, I don't know if he fully understood uh, what it meant and the position of power that he would be in one day and influence over his family. Then, you know, then he's, you know, he gets his favorite coat ripped up, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, into exile. He's exiled from his family. His dad thinks he's dead, um, you know, and then he gets accused, falsely accused of rape, put into a prison. But it, if you look at the life of Joseph, all throughout his story, there's something that just stood out about him that was different. It was like he, he prospered in whatever season he was in. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like he continued to dig deep. He continued to let the iceberg grow beneath the water. Because one day, everyone, his family would come and see the tip of that iceberg. The 10%, like you said. But they don't. They didn't realize or they didn't really understand until they probably had that reconciliation, reconciliation moment with his their younger brother, Joseph, what that 90% was for Joseph. Like he had to go through the pain. He had to go through the anguish. He had to go through the turmoil and the tragedy, you know, all the tragedies that he had to go through to get that 10%. But in the end, it was worth it. But somehow Joseph was able to let God intervene in the weakest of moments. And Paul references this, actually. I love this passage. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10, if those of you that are watching that are part of our kingdom culture community have heard me share this, and uh, one of my favorite verses, passages, and he says here, and he said to me in context to Paul, wanting this thing that was oppressing him to lift off of him. Paul was struggling. Paul felt the weight, the burden of so much on his shoulders. And there's scholarly divide on what that was. Was it physical? Was it spiritual? Well, I, I kind of lean more to the, the spiritual side of it because of the evidence of what it actually says in the scripture, the demon that was buffeting uh, 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 Paul. And Paul says to God, uh, or so Paul says to God, take this away from me. And God doesn't even answer Paul's question. God doesn't say no. God doesn't say, okay, but like it's going to be later on. God just changes the, he like comes in from the side and says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most is what Paul says. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love that because, you know, we're asking questions to God often that God is not answering. We want the way out. God fix the problem. Fix me. That was your prayer. Like God, just change me. Like, like give me what my brother has or give me what this leader over there has. I just want to be like them because it's easier. Cause right now I'm confused. That's where you were when you were at Bethel in Redding, California in that, that, that seven year window of time. And God just said to you, listen, I'm going to give you what you need. Just trust me. 
obedience. Just trust me. That's what really God was saying to Paul. Just be obedient because my strength is sufficient for you right now. Whatever it is that you're going through, I will give you the strength. And I love it because he says, I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And that word boast, if you break it down, means to lift my head high, to have a higher aim, a higher target. And so rather than focus on what's in front of me and the weakness in front of me, I'm just going to thank God that his strength is so good, that his strength is so available. And as a result, I'm going to walk with my head high and I'm going to leave this moment, even though it's a struggle, I'm going to leave it with God's strength because struggle, I believe in strength always go together. You don't need strength if there is no struggle, right? You only need strength when you feel weak, when there's a struggle, right? And so Paul was basically thanking God, thanking God for this opportunity, which was an invitation to God's strength so that as he would continue, God would get all the glory and all the honor. And that's really, I think, what we're we're talking about. And I want to continue just to dive a little bit more into this comparison component. I know we've we've talked about it and we've talked about, you know, a lot of our identity is wrapped in how we think we should be based upon how others are around us. And I've said this before, comparison is a calling killer. If you want to destroy your calling, then compare yourself with everybody else that you think is doing what you should be doing. So here you are, talk to us about, you know, what's happening in Brazil. Here you are, you're, you know, you're a part of a very influential movement right now. You were a part of what is called dunamis for years. It's, it's, uh, it's shaking the nation right now and, and other, you know, countries are taking notice around the world. I mean, you've been a part of this journey and you're a part of a thriving church that's impacting not only your community, but it's turned into multiple campuses. Like, talk about the continuation of this journey of continuing to, as you've grown and as things have grown around you, how you've stayed in your lane, how you've not, like, tried to be like the other person. Like, talk about that, because I know it's going to be tempting, no matter how delivered you are from it, you're still going through it. True. Um, As things happen in our lives, um, sometimes we are tempted to think, oh, I've got this God, you know, I, you know, we've been through a lot. So, but now things are happening. Let's just go for it. Or we, or we don't even do that. We get into this automatic mode and automatic pilot. And we're just like going and cruising through life. Like, okay, okay. Let's just do one more thing. And I think that the thing that really helps me be centered through everything is remembering why I do what I do and what reason and what motivates me. Because um, for someone that's watching outside, you might think that's success, but sometimes it's not. It's just that it's a moment in our lives. You know, I've learned that success is being obedient to the Lord, is saying yes to him. And I always think about if God said, Zoe, would you leave everything? Would you stop doing that for me? Would you have the same joy that you have when you're doing something? And my answer has, it has to be always, yes, Lord. And, um, and that's, that's my thermometer. When I feel like I'm doing things because I have to, that's just really bad. When I feel that I'm doing things because I love that God has called me to do these things and I'm content. And if he tells me you're not going to do that anymore and I'm still content, that's the place I have to be always. So, um, 
maintaining my secret life, my, my, my secret place, always filled with moments with Jesus, always filled with joy. That's what keeps me where I have to be. And, um, and also I think it's easier for me. I'm just being very honest because I never wanted this. <laughs> so it's kind of easy for me not to be attached to it, to this whole ministry growth, because I never even wanted to be in ministry. But I always put that into my artwork. What if I become a very famous artist, which I'm not, but what if that happens? Will I not be attached to it? And that's something that I know that God is always working in us for us to be more attached to him than to the blesser for us to be more attached to what he is other than what he does for us. It's like Abraham when, when Abraham goes and sacrifices, he's about to sacrifice Isaac. I, I truly believe God never even wanted that. I, that sacrifice. He didn't care about Isaac being there. He wanted Abraham's heart completely. And, um, through our lives, we will have to face situations like that, where we have to understand is God truly having my heart or is he just having part of it? You know, do I truly love the blesser more than my blessing? Do I truly love his face more than his hands? And, um, and being in that place is being grounded in who we are. I think it's almost impossible for you to be vain or filled with arrogance and pride when you're constantly in his presence, because every morning when I'm like before God and I'm worshiping there and during the day too, I'm like, he is so amazing. Like, <laughs> and he chose me, you know? And I just feel so humbled by that. And I think people that start getting like fame in their mind or money in their minds and they start like going this, this, I don't know, this new character and they become so self-centered and everything's around them. It's because they haven't spent time in the presence of God. Because when you're in the presence of God, you understand how small you are. And it's a good place to be every single moment of your day because that brings you the right perspective. The world will come and go, money comes and goes. That's why I say fame comes and goes. Success before men come and go, but his presence can't come and go. It has to be there always because that's what gives us true perspective and true life. I think that was the key to Moses's success is that, you know, it was said of Moses that he was one of the most humble of all leaders. And mm -hmm. I think the key to his humility, I mean, if I think a biblical, a working biblical definition of humility is really just simply obedience and continual surrender. But Moses really, he started his calling from that space. He didn't even want to do it. He wasn't asking to be the guy. He wasn't, in fact, he said, God, I can't speak. I have a speech impediment. He, he was the guy that didn't want the ministry. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. But, you know, and not to say that, you know, it's only going to work if you don't want it, but there is something to be said about you're not looking for it. Paul wasn't looking for it. In fact, God was looking for Paul. Hence why in Acts 9, God, you know, smacked Paul off his horse running to Damascus. Paul was not looking for calling. In fact, he was looking to destroy Christianity. And then God showed up, was looking for him, knocked him off. And then, you know, Paul ended up writing the majority of the New Testament. But back to Moses, Moses didn't want the calling and he got it. 
And I think that's one of the greatest keys as to why Moses was considered humble is because he had to rely in what they call, we call the tent of meaning. He had to rely on the presence of God. He had to rely on the face-to-face conversations with God every day. How do I lead these people? How do I lead all these complaining, annoying, frustrating, grumbling people that that are, are up and down in their trust in me as a leader? One day they're all good because they saw the Red Sea part and the next day they're not good. And then one day they see the, the bitter waters turn sweet and the next day there's no food. And you know, then they see the rock, the water come out of the rock and then the next day they forget about it. Like this up and down culture, Moses had to continue to rely on the presence of God to lead him. We could lead by principle or we could lead by presence. Jesus operated in principles, but ultimately... It was the presence of God that drove those principles day in and day out. And that's what we're, we're talking about. And, you know, I, I wonder, there's so many people out there that, you know, are struggling with, like, back to the, the, the you know, the, the title, you know, our, who we really are, our identity, and who God says we are. And the reason why they struggle with it is because they're continu- they continue to compare themselves with what the world says they should be. And I, I'd wonder if, if you could pray for us, first of all, as a kingdom culture community, and if you have anything on your heart you want to share, and if you have anything you want to add to what I just said as well, be, be free to do that. Uh, but I wonder at the end if you could pray for us, uh, pray for those that are watching or that will, that will watch this later on, um, that are struggling with comparing themselves, especially now like on quarantine. I mean, like, this is a social media, like we truly are. I mean, we were in before a social media age, but we truly are now in like a revolution uh, of, and, and this age of social media in a way that we've never been before because now everything is online. And so I wonder if you could pray and, and just pray for freedom in this area, if you want to add anything. And then, then at the end, kind of just go and those that are watching that are searching, they don't know God they don't believe in God, but maybe they landed on this conversation by accident or because someone pointed them to it. Just lead them on a journey into opening their hearts to Jesus. I wonder if True. you could do that. That would be awesome. I just I just want to encourage you, you, if you're feeling like you're un you're less than what you have to be or that you're not where you want to be, that a lot of things that we see is only 10%. And we're comparing our nine our a hundred percent to ten percent. And um that you may feel the love of the father and his, his appreciation and his pleasure that is already over you. It's like the, you know, the story of the, the prodigal son. And I always talk about the older brother and not the prodigal son, because it's so easy to relate to the prodigal son. But many times we're the older brother in which we have to hear from the Lord. Everything I have is already yours, you know, and we're, we have access to the presence of God. We have access by the blood of the lamb and we must understand that everything that God has for us is already ours. So wherever you are, wherever you're watching right now, I just want to pray that the peace of God may just come over your life. God, thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally, that when you look at us, you never compare us to anybody, that you have made us so unique. You have made us exactly how you want us to be. And Lord, may we just embrace the things that you do. May we understand that when you make something, it's never wrong. That when you created us, we weren't wrong. We weren't a mistake. We weren't um, 
supposed to be something else. We were supposed to be exactly how you created us to be. And Lord, we just thank you that you are so patient, that you are so kind to show us daily who we are. And Lord, I just ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that you may come and, and whisper identity into each heart that is listening to this conversation. We, we break in Jesus' name every spiritual stronghold. We break every demonic power over every mind, over every person that's watching right now, everything that says that they can't do it, that they're not good enough, that, they, that they're not sufficient. Lord, you are more than sufficient for us, and we depend on you, and your grace is more than sufficient for us. Thank you so much, Lord. I declare blessings and just freedom right now in this place. I see this, this young lady um, who's been trying so hard to prove to others and to yourself about your spiritual anointing. It's very specific, something that you're trying to prove. And God is saying that you don't need to prove anything. Because when the anointing is upon your life, it's just gonna, it's just gonna show. It's like a perfume that can't be contained. But you're trying to prove to your leaders or to the people around you that you've got this. And the moment you're trying to do that, that's when the anointing isn't flowing. And I just pray over your life, the 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 security that the Holy Spirit is gonna bring over you, the 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 assurance that God is with you and that you don't need to prove anything for anybody, that you may be faithful with the few small things that the Lord has given your life, because those things will bear fruit and fruit takes time. So I just bless you wherever you are, this young lady. I also see this older person. I don't know. Um, it's this older man and um, has um, gray hair and you're you're looking at yourself and you think well i've done i haven't done enough you know i'm i've reached this point in my life and who am i now i don't even know who i am i've raised my children i've done i've worked so hard all these years and i don't know who i am and i just feel the holy spirit just just letting you know right now that you have so many other dreams in your heart that god wants to bring forth and lord i just declare those dreams to just revive you know to just come to life again you are not something that is old that is passed by by other young people no you have something to give and i just bless your life right now in jesus name with strength and power god lord i just thank you lord and if you're watching this and you haven't accepted christ as your savior and you want to start a new life and you want to find out who you are in christ I just want you to repeat this prayer with me because I know that Jesus is not contained through buildings. Jesus is wherever you are right now. And if you could repeat with me, you know, dear God, I just give you my life. I invite you to come and wash me clean. May you fill my life with your Holy Spirit. I ask forgiveness for everything I've done and for not even knowing you. But Lord, I want to know you. I want to be a new creation. I give you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Just bless you guys. It's been a privilege and honor to be with you today. And I just pray that you may find so much joy joy in the situation you are right now. 
Thank you so much, Zoe. That was incredible. You know, we were talking about revive our true identity, dealing with insecurity in the age of comparison. And just to echo everything that we've just said again, I want to encourage us to not compare ourselves with others, but to compare ourselves with who Jesus is. And I want to close with a scripture Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. And really what we're, what we're talking about today is whatever we behold, we become. And we can look at others as our benchmark and become like them and live a life of, of uh, avoided life, a life of uh, an unsatisfied life or We can behold Jesus, look at Jesus, and become more like him. That's who we are comparing our life to day in and day out. Let's see our true identity uh, come to the forefront in this season, you guys. Kingdom Culture, we love you. Thank you, Zoe, again. It was an amazing conversation, and uh, love to see you again. Kingdom Culture, we love you. Have an amazing, amazing Sunday. Check out this last video before you tune out.